This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. We are definitely deep into learning Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, Ben Graham style investing, value investing, some people call it, Mm -hmm. where the essence of it is that you are buying wonderful businesses and you're buying them when they're cheap. And you're buying them when they're cheap and they get cheap because there's fear that goes out into the market that uh, these things are going to be going down for some reason. And if there's good reasons, then we want to buy it. If there's bad reasons, we don't want to buy it either. Um, and right now we are going through a checklist that we're going to be back to this time. Yay us. Yes. Yay us. That's a great sentiment. Um, we are in the middle of a, it sounds long because we've been through a lot of episodes about it, but it's really actually not that long, this checklist. And if you're, I think everybody listening at this point has already heard our spiel about checklist, but just to say it quickly, in case this is your first time listening to our podcast, Go back and listen to the other episodes that are entitled Checklist Something and do that because it really won't make sense without hearing the first parts of the checklist. Secondly, this whole checklist thing is just to get an idea of what somebody's checklist would be, which is my dad's. And your checklist and my checklist are probably going to be different because the whole point of a checklist is to jog your mind, jog your memory, make sure you didn't forget something that you often forget. So the stuff that dad might need is different than the stuff that you or I might need. But it's super helpful to hear other people's checklists. And we're actually really, I think, fortunate to um, get to dive into this one so much. And I am just personally loving it. So... As you know, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I just want to learn about investing stuff. So this is so, I find it fascinating to hear the stuff that that you um, are checking amongst your process. So thanks for going through it with us, actually. Uh, I don't well, think I've said that. Super pleasure. Um, I'm, I'm looking at kind of where we started this in our, in our process here. And I mean, did we jump off of it for quite some time? Because... No. I'm looking at where no? No, we so last oh, yeah, episode we did. Well, we did, we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. We did we started for all like the way back for like February. three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> I mean, okay, so the first <laughs> this is terrible. And we get we get dinged for this and we apologize for bouncing around. We apologize I know you guys in like the really sense f- that like we feel like it's probably annoying to you, but we don't apologize in the sense that obviously we keep doing it and so we don't really try to change it. It's not annoying to us. It's fun. (laughs) (laughs) And we are five years into this podcast now. We just discovered. We just, right before starting, figured out that we might be having somewhat of an anniversary. At least it's an anniversary month. I don't know what day we put this thing out, but it was in June of 2015, I'm pretty sure, is when we started Which means we're starting our, let's see, June, let's see, 16, 17, 18, 19. So we're starting our sixth year. Yeah, it's so nuts. 
And so if you're going to do something for six years, it should be fun. It shouldn't be a grind, <laughs> right? And so we're, and really we're doing this for you guys, but it's got to be also fun for us. So we, um, and often, you know, I, I will say we always learn more when we teach. It's just a fact of the life. And, and um, I am always attracted to the notion that Warren Buffett was asked a few years ago at one of his annual meetings what he wanted his legacy to be. And he said he thought he wanted to be known as a great teacher. And I love that. I think Which that's you wrote in right. the forward or afterward, I can never remember, to our book, yep. which which he commented on, which was so sweet. I know. It's really sweet. And, and I think that that's a great thing. So we like doing it for that, you know, legacy-wise. And we like doing it because we get to be better investors as a result of actually trying to figure this all out. And Danielle has been incredible at just picking apart the things that I haven't fully thought out or which sometimes are even wrong and made me a better investor as a result of all this. And mm. so hopefully you guys are getting something out of it. We, we do bounce around a bit and, and that because we don't really schedule or script anything that we're doing, we sort of have an idea where we're going to go. And then we just go there as best we can. So to that point, the first one that I can see, uh, the first podcast I can see on the subject of checklist was February 4th. And then sense. we bounced a little bit on yeah. February 18th. We did radar and the 25th. We did the first of the understanding thing, which is meaning bounced because, past coronavirus. Yeah, because um, mid-March was when the virus started shutting everything down. Right. And that's when we, and the market started to crash. And that's when we decided we better stop talking about chess, checklists because who cares right now? Let's talk about the massive crisis happening in our world. So that's what we right. did. So you're going to have to drop back into February, look for things that say checklist. Every one of them on the checklist says checklist something. Yeah. And then it jumped. We did, we sort of bailed out of it after a couple of moat, one moat one and March 17th. And then we didn't get back to it because of all of the stuff going on. What's going on with Berkshire? What's going on with Buffett? What's going on with everybody and going on in this market? Um, and we finally got back to it on June 9th. Okay, that's April, May, two and a half months later, we're back on checklist June 9th, and we've done moat, management one, management two, and we're working on management again here, you know, so let's go in it. Let's let's do it. Let's jump into management again. Okay, and but can I, in, the, in our tradition, make one tiny detour first? Sure. In okay. our tradition, you about must our five make year one tiny detour. About our five-year anniversary, I just like am a bit overcome at how much just my own life has changed in the last five years. It's totally insane to go from being a full-time corporate lawyer to writing a book with my dad, never thought I would do that. <laughs> and learning investing, never thought I would do that. To liking investing. And now I get to do investing all the time and love it. And I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but it's it's exciting. So it's been a well, good five years. Exciting. And I was single dad, when we started this. And now I am four years married very soon. With, I have a son. I have a son who's phenomenal. I love your husband so much. I have to tell you, honey. He I just know. It's is very sweet. A prince he loves you of too. A man. And I love him. And I just, the I love say, fest I just really between do. the two is 
at it's times. It's pretty intense. <laughs> it's a bromance. It's a bromance. All it's right. Thank you. Guy. I had to make that detour because it's just like crazy that it's been five years and very exciting. Yeah, it's amazing. And the cool thing is that everybody can go back and listen to all of my questions from the very <laughs> beginning, which uh, I feel like might be daunting for a lot of people who are investors to have their early questions recorded. But I feel like it's awesome because I have such a good record of from going from zero to whatever I am now. And it's wild. It's just, well, yeah, your track record is stunning. You're you're killing it. Yeah. My track record is really good. good. And, uh, yeah, more power to you on that. That's really, really cool. Thanks. Thank you, dad. So So that was to say, thank you, dad. I don't want to skip that. It's all due to you. Okay. So now, now teach me more things. Teach me more things. Okay, so okay. we've talked about cash flow at 75%. This is management, which you want to just review it real quick where we are with it? Yeah. Um, I lost the earlier pages. We're somewhere in management. And on my page here, I have, I have, I'm writing this all by hand. So my page here is, we talked about the business has low maintenance capital expenditures. We talked about that a whole bunch in the last checklist episode. And then we got to free cash flow is 75% of earnings or more. We talked about that very quickly. And then we mentioned that owner earnings is also 75% of earnings or more. And I have a note that says we're starting with owner earnings and that you also said something like, what is the CEO doing some doing for herself for the upcoming points? So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so the, so there's owner a few more key seven, things there. Okay, go ahead. A few more key things. First, we, we want to look at some objective numbers when we're looking at management because it's so much of management is subjective, right? So we're looking for some numbers that are, are clue us into the, Ability of management to allocate capital properly. And um, debt is a real big red flag and especially heading into recession and depression, debt kills. So you don't want debt in the company. Um, We want return on invested capital to be high and staying up there and return on equity to be high and staying up there. We mentioned 10 10 to 15% would be considered Mm -hmm. pretty good. and then, as you mentioned, low capex. And then now we want free cash flow on earnings. We want we want a business that's going to flow cash flow, because that is also more evidence of the ability of management team to allocate capital well, that they're getting good returns on what they're investing, and they have flexibility. If you don't have free cash flow coming off of your business, you're constantly on the edge of disaster. Right, because even if you have earnings, it doesn't mean you're getting paid. You have you have a you have a problem of needing to collect the money from the person you sold stuff to. Mm-hmm. Well, in a recession or depression, that could be really a serious problem. That's actually a really good point. They yeah. might buy your airplane, but they're not going to pay for it. Yeah, you right? might have decent accounts payable, but that doesn't mean. Wait, is it payable that comes in, or is it? That's what you one. pay out. So it's accounts receivable. Receivable. Is coming. Accounts receivable. And that doesn't mean that the money is going to show up. It doesn't mean the money is going to show up. And as, as the tide goes out, as it inevitably does, um, then you are going to experience the companies which have a problem with free cash flow. They don't have a lot of free cash flow. They may not actually have cash, mm-hmm. which means 
they can't pay their employees. You can't pay your employees with IOUs, right? I mean, you, you can sell stuff with IOUs. And it's like, oh, yeah, we sold you that airplane. You owe us $40 million. Great. So these I, two, free cash flow is 75% of earnings or more. Owner earnings is 75% of earnings or more. These two points are trying to get at how much cash does this company have at its disposal? What, like last year, right now? Yeah, it goes like, pretty much this sort of stuff goes quarter to quarter. So it it doesn't mean what they have right now. That That is on the cash. Yeah, uh, so that's state, my next question. Statement. Why not just look at the cash and cash equivalents line? instead of these numbers, if what you're trying to understand is how much cash they have. What's the difference? Well, you're not trying to understand how much cash they have per se. You're trying to understand if it's flowing. In other words, you're not oh. looking at how much water's in the bucket. You're looking at how much water's coming out of the tap. Oh, okay. So it's not really how much they have like on hand today. It's like, mm -hmm. what's the, as you said, what's the flow? What's I don't know yeah, how to say I mean, that can better. Can we keep filling up the bucket? And so the reason we don't look at cash immediately. But I mean, it's a function of their earnings. So if the earnings turn off because they aren't getting the accounts receivable, then how reliable is that number? Well, earnings number is not that reliable, which no, is No, no, sorry. The, ca the free cash flow number. Oh, the free cash flow number? Well, that is a judgment on the quality of the business and the quality of the moat, isn't it? So you're basically saying... Um, I can judge how the future will look in this business, and I'm I'm using the past as an indication, right? I'm looking out the back window of the car, and I see the road is pretty straight back there. That that's an indication that at least up till now we've been on a pretty straight road, which is good in terms of predictability, at least theoretically. But now I have to look into the future, into a coronavirus future into a certainly a recession future, into potentially a depression future, where we may have right. multiple years of recession going on here. And so to do that is looking out the back window of the car isn't going to help you with that. You need to look out the front window of the car. So your, your question is really, how do we know this free cash is going to keep coming if people stop paying their bills? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's right? my question. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that is not a, a question that we can answer with an objective number because the, these objective numbers uh, are okay. about the this, past. This, this particular checkpoint is not getting at that question. No. Got it. No, they're not getting at that question. This checkpoint is about how good of an allocator of capital is the management team? And, and in a way, how honest are they with the people who own the business? Mm. So good okay. allocators of capital, good business models produce a lot of cash. And that's mm -hmm. what we want. Mm -hmm. Right? Cool. Got it. So okay. That makes, that makes a lot more sense. Okay. What's the next one? Is the CEO's experienced in this business and has a great operational track record. So for example, when Chipotle was struggling with this whole, you know, coming off of its E. coli problems from the, that happened just in 2015, and then were relatively quickly solved, they struggled in 2016, 2017, 2018. So years of struggle to get their market back. And um, they let go of their CEO and brought in a new guy. And the new guy is experienced because he just did a huge, fabulous job at Taco Bell. So here's a guy coming to a much more sort of Whole Foods kind of an environment 
away from just pure fast food, you know, crap food thing that, that mm -hmm. is over there. Mm -hmm. Forgive me if you love Taco Bell. I love Taco Bell. So do I. But I think they're so good. But I like Chipotle. I like Chipotle better. <laughs> Chipotle's better. <laughs> and they're bringing them over with a fabulous operational track record. So that was a real easy, big, you know, thumbs up for Chipotle. Yeah. But that's it. the CEO's experience is important. If you're bringing a CEO in from an entirely different world, that's always a kind of a question. What's going to happen there? You know, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. Mary Dillon came into Ulta, for example, from a different world. She was McDonald's marketing mm -hmm. and holy smoke, she took that baby and ran with it. But you'd be wise to kind of wait a bit there and just kind of see how she was going to do with that. The CEO is experienced in this business and has a great operational track record. Yeah. So that would exclude anybody who's maybe a first time CEO. Like, yeah. like actually she was, right? Wasn't she the director of marketing or something? Yeah, she was first time CEO. So yeah, you're going to want to sit back a little bit on that unless you happen to know her personally and know how brilliant she is and know that she's going to knock this right out of the park. Um, she's an unknown quality. Fabulous marketing track record, but an unknown quality as a CEO in terms of her ability to allocate capital. And that is something that doesn't show up as the head of marketing. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it's what a CEO does. It says, okay, we're going to put the money into this. And we're not going to put it into that. We're going to get debt. We're not going to get debt. Right. We're going to buy this company. We're not going to buy it. Um, so that's, that's a big deal when you're bringing in a new CEO. So we really want to look at that carefully. That's a big red flag. It doesn't mean we don't want to buy the company, but... It's a big red flag. So Taiwan Semiconductor, for example, is their founder CEO is on on the edge of retirement, about to retire, and, and we're looking at the new CEO. And I mean, do you really want to stay with an investment like that if you've got somebody new coming in that's untried or, or the founder is the guy that drove the whole thing? Do you really want to stay with Apple if Steve Jobs is leaving and Tim Cook is taking over? That's right. always a question mark, right? That was and a huge question mark. And the stock often responds to that with a big mm -hmm. negative price. Which so can be an why. opportunity for an investor like us who's willing to sort of put a stake in the sand and say, okay, I think this person's going to do okay. But it's so hard to know if you should bet on a person. It's the Apple was a really, really good example of this because Apple's moat is huge. Mm -hmm. And the idea of moat is fundamentally that um, you, you, you may have an idiot running the company at some point, but the moat is big enough that it can overcome that. That person's going to go away. The company will still be there. Um, you, one would wish that management, uh, that boards of directors would not be so cozy with the CEO. Um, Jenny Rometty was an absolute disaster for IBM on virtually every level, including the stock, including the company, including the employees, including the direction, just an absolute disaster. And it took them 10 years to respond to her failures, which is just horrible. I, I mean, I, I don't know who the board is. I mean, I know who they are, but what are you thinking that you leave somebody in there like that because she's your friend, because you don't want to embarrass her, because she's a woman, because what? Why are you doing that uh, to the detriment of this famous old company? And meanwhile, Microsoft gets their CEO out of the way and brings in True. this brilliant guy mm -hmm. who just kicks Microsoft into gear after years of going nowhere, you know, Ginny Rometty style. 
And all of a sudden, this guy takes it to the moon and blows right by IBM in the business IBM is trying under her to take on the cloud. And Microsoft just blew him up. It was like no contest. It was amazing. And you just see how important leadership is, particularly in technology industries where their you know creative destruction is the rule. You got to be smart. You got to be ahead of the game. And you know, give her credit; she's a salesperson. God, what does she know about that stuff? Yeah, it is super interesting. It's one of my great areas of interest to try to understand the role that leaders play, that people play, that boards play in the success of a company. And from talking to people who have worked with people at IBM, worked with people at Microsoft, at Intel, at Google, at Amazon, all those sort of cloud players. I just knew I've gotten a number of people who I shall not name who have said to me basically like, that was so obvious. IBM is the least innovative company that they've worked with out of any of those. And it doesn't matter who's leading it. It's like, they were just like... That was definitely going to happen. Now, it didn't matter is that who's there you go. is that true? You know, who knows? Maybe some. If Satya Nadella had gone had gone to IBM, maybe it would have been different. I don't know, but I just thought those were. It was more than one person who said that to me. Who has a lot of they oh, have inside that is knowledge. Interesting. And, and I think culture matters a huge amount. Yeah. When it comes to that stuff. What an interesting problem to way to think about it because IBM, I know we're sliding away a little bit from management, but sometimes some color around this is good. Um, IBM traditionally files more patents than any other company in the world. So okay. we're talking about a lack of innovation and yet they file the most patents of anybody. Um, so what what are they filing patents about? Maybe they're filing patents about things that don't really matter. I don't know. I don't know anything but about that statistic. We're going to find so, out because I don't know. Ar- Arvind, Arvind Krishna is just taking so over So that's IBM. what's really interesting about <laughs> IBM right now. Yeah. Is, and he is not from the outside. He knows IBM incredibly well, came yeah. up through IBM. Yeah. And is first rated, engineer. This is the first engineer that ever made it to the top of exactly. IBM. Exactly. So I think maybe we could say, and I don't know if this is true, so take this with a major grain of salt, but maybe we could say that, uh, that the board realized its mistake and that IBM at its heart is a, is a company that has to create, that has to innovate, that needs an engineer at the top who understands what that means and what they're doing. And maybe he's the guy that's going to pull them in the right direction. And I mean, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't done, actually, he's somebody I really want to do a kind of a deep dive on because it's super interesting and there's so much opportunity there if they can get it right because of everything you just said, the huge history, the massive computing power, the way IBM is in virtually every major company around the world already, just because they've been around for so long. Like it's super well, interesting. Not just because they've been around for so long. Not because just they're because. anchored in the back offices of these companies. That's for what I so mean. Long, they That's can't get I mean. rid of them. Right. Yeah. They, I mean, it, these guys would be loving to go to AWS or over to, uh, over to. I mean, just they would love to be able to choose among the different providers, and they can't. They're locked into IBM, and um, so, that is what keeps IBM alive right now. Plain yeah. and simple is a switching moat like you've never seen, and uh, now now it's up to this guy to figure it out. How do you how do you get up now that you've given your competition a really big head start? 
right, exactly. over the last 10 years when exactly. IBM was already behind, uh, can you jump in there? And, and for that reason, obviously, I'm not buying the stock. I, I don't know if this person... So there's, there's a really good example of how mm -hmm. I'm thinking as an investor. Uh, the CEO here has not been a CEO. He's running some of their major divisions, okay? And that's fine. Um, and obviously, he's the best guy they could think of picking in the great political environment of IBM. Who knows if he's the best guy, but he's the best guy they could pick and get a consensus on. And it remains to be seen if he can turn this beast around. Okay, so to bring this back to our checklist, mm. the point says the CEO is experienced in this business and has a great operational track record. So I would say in that situation, he is experienced in this business, but we don't know that much about his operational track record because he's only been an internal manager. How would you... Like, would you like check that off or give it sort of a half check or what would you do with that one? Yeah, I'd kind of give it a, I'd give it a very thin little half check uh, because he was senior vice president since 2015. And um, I, I just, here's the thing that he got pushed up into the CEO seat for, and that is he led the IBM acquisition of Red Hat that they bought for $18 oh. billion. It's the single largest software acquisition in history. And um, my I problem think is I'm it has not, also not been very successful for them. That's the thing. I'm not up to on where, where that's at. You know, how has that two years later, a year and a half later, how is that altering the game yeah. for IBM? Hmm. Interesting. So, so man, I mean, his, his thing is, I believe we can make IBM the most trusted technology partner of the 21st century. Character is of the utmost importance. Um, okay. That sounds a little bit like leaning on Big Blue brand as opposed to the technology side of things, which says that, oh, well, hey, having having the best technology would be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> so this is to point number eight of management, which okay. is I trust this CEO to behave with integrity. I trust the CEO to behave with integrity. So, I mean, back on Jenny Rometty, I never doubted Jenny Rometty's integrity. I doubted her grasp of the technology. Mm. This guy, I think probably if I've got to choose, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really have much doubt about his grasp of the technology. He's coming, and the guy's brilliant. I mean, no question. He's coming out of India's Institute of Technology. You don't, that's like MIT on, you know, on steroids. So mm -hmm. super brilliant. And, um, and so I don't doubt his grasp of the technology. Now, I don't have, I mean, you don't get where you get as an Indian in IBM without integrity, nobody's going to promote you up the ladder if they don't trust you. So I got to think the guy's probably a really good pick. I mean, I, I got to say that. And certainly From the little that I've read about what he said and, and his goals for IVM, I've been pleasantly impressed and 
thought, okay, like he, uh, he made me want to learn more about him. I just haven't done it yet. But as opposed to like a lot of these CEOs, these new CEOs that show up and they're like, I'm so thrilled to continue the great work that my predecessor was like, all right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not interesting. Uh, Whereas I think he, he was pretty straightforward about how many problems IBM has. And I always respond really well to, to good candor about issues. Of course, it's also very easy to point all the problems to the back, uh, to, to the past and to your predecessor. And it's a lot harder once you've been there for three years and everything's on your shoulders. So we'll see. It'll be interesting. It's, it's really interesting because uh, I'm just reading that he actually led the building and expansion of new markets for IBM into artificial intelligence, cloud, quantum computing, and blockchain, and then bought Red Hat. So another way to look at this guy, since we don't really have an opinion at this point, um, you know, just putting on my skeptical hat, is that he's the reason Ginny Rometty sucked as a CEO. And now they've promoted him to the highest so interesting. job. Ooh, that would be nasty, it? wouldn't it? What? How are you getting that? Well, so if he's, he led let's assume all of the... he's really good at what he does. Yeah, and he was leading blockchain and AI and AI, et cetera, and et cetera, into the cloud. None of which have been particularly successful at all. IBM has been a mortal failure at getting AI off the ground. They keep remember that horrible, so horrible you're saying... ad with Bob Dylan. No. Oh. That was nasty. What anyway, did Bob Dylan but they, do? They were trying to show that the AI could write songs, you know, and stuff like that. Did they AI make the AI write a Bob Dylan song? I can't remember what they did, but it was just, put the, which is the problem with the ad. It's like, oh. yeah, <laughs> what did that mean? <laughs> right? Okay. You know, when you see Apple's ad in, in, uh, in 1984, <laughs> where they got the guy, the woman running down the aisle of the think, you know, the think, all of these people are dressed exactly the same and they all look exactly the same and they're all gray and they're listening to the big brother on the screen. And this woman comes running down the aisle with a swing and a hammer and just throws it into the screen. Macintosh. That was all they did. <laughs> like, the greatest right? commercial in Super Bowl history ran once. And it's still iconic. It's like, all right, what's this Macintosh? I mean, oh, Macintosh yeah. is smashing the Big Brother IBM. It's a little IBM. bit of a high bar. A little, the greatest commercial probably yeah. of the modern era. Okay, yes. It's a little <laughs> it bit didn't of really a... reach up to that. <laughs> <laughs> but they knew what they were about. They were attacking IBM. They were going to bring right. it back to the individual. IBM is representing, you know, the evil empire. And, you know, it's been overcome by a lot of these revolutionary companies. And I don't know if this guy can bring it back. And maybe he's the reason they're having trouble. I mean, maybe he's the best they got. And the board has had him on the succession list and it's just all on on railroad tracks and maybe. there's nothing anybody could do about it. And now he's the CEO. Maybe. I don't know. Honestly, don't know. Don't but know that's either. what you got to look at, you guys. And that's why understanding the business is so critical. You've got to be able to make a judgment about the CEO running the business, which I have, it's a big stretch for me to do that with IBM. And I've had, I've built software companies so and funded them. So I understand something about it, but this is really a complex company with a complex problem and I don't know they're going to figure it out. So, okay, I, I trust this guy to behave with integrity and I think he's probably got terrific uh, experience. I just don't know if his operational track record is superior or not, if he's the guy behind IBM stumbling along here. 
All right, next one okay. is CEO pay is reasonable and based on long-term success. Now, this is actually not in the 10K, this stuff, this information about CEO pay and how CEO, reasonable it is. Hold on. CEO pay is reasonable and what? And based on long-term success. And based that is the on CEO's compensation should be based on a long-term view of how they're doing, not a short-term view, not a quarterly view, not even an annual view in my opinion, but almost everybody does it annually. So you, what you really want is you want somebody that's thinking the same way as a good investor. And a good investor, as we know from five years of this podcast, <laughs> is looking way out into the future. You're looking out five years, 10 years. So we want a CEO pay to be resonating with that philosophy of investing and stop worrying about what's going to happen quarter to quarter or even year to year. That's extremely difficult and doesn't happen in the real world. It just doesn't happen. The, the demands of the public stock market investors, meaning the mutual fund guys and index people are so intense on staying with the quarter to quarter view of the world so that they can stay with their peer group and not get fired. None of them want a system that doesn't know where it is except in a five-year piece of time. They don't want that. So what do you look for to qualify for CEO pay is reasonable? Okay. So the first thing is to know where to look and where to look is called the proxy. It's not in the 10K. They just refer to it in the 10K. So every year there is a vote for the board of directors for each corporation and an annual meeting. And at that board vote, they produce a voting document called a proxy. And this document is sent out to all shareholders. And in it is not only the board that is being put forward by the company to vote for, but also the CEO compensation structure that is voted for every year. I will add that if you want a little bit of a shortcut and slightly old info, the Wall Street Journal does a very good review of CEO compensation every year. What? I didn't know that. Yeah. Where is that? It's at, at their website. I, I don't know. I guess it's in the newspaper, but it's on their website. And um, yeah, if, if you're a Wall Street Journal subscriber, just put in like CEO pay. It just came out uh, probably a month ago for last year. Wow. And they give a really nice graphical view of who's getting paid the most down to who's getting paid the least. And they split it up by uh, salary and stock compensation. So you can see what is uh, actual. And what they did this year, which was really nice, was they indicated which CEOs were taking a pay cut this year due to coronavirus and due to their business being shut down. And due to employees taking pay cuts. So what where, was where very interesting. This? Wait, I don't know where to find. I'm looking at Wall Street Journal right now. I don't know where this is. I just I just went on their search thing and searched CEO pay and it comes up with a bunch of articles. I mean, I don't know the like website path, but okay. maybe go to go to Google and put in Wall Street Journal CEO pay report or something like that. See if that works. So I really, I just want to say, I really appreciated that the Wall Street Journal indicated what was happening this year, because I think 
with that information of what happened last year, because it's all in hindsight, it was very interesting to see which CEOs were taking a pay cut, which was frankly most of them, and which CEOs were not. And I suspect that they did not expect that info to necessarily be displayed in such a stark manner. And if I had been one of those ones who was not taking a pay cut, I would have been really embarrassed. So I feel like that one goes straight to, I trust this CEO to behave with integrity. Did you find it? No kidding. Yeah, I found it. Wow. It's so far what I found is in the form of a, a long one line list, you know? Yeah. It's like a big graph, big chart. Right. I, this is good, but it's, it's not great. And I'll tell you why it, it, doesn't give you the data you need to understand where the numbers are coming from. No, so, no, yeah, it's not detailed, but it's really, I, I find it quite interesting to be able, especially to be able to like quickly compare um, CEOs in the same industry and see like how much, you know, to go to our earlier conversation, how much is the guy at IBM getting paid compared to the guy at Microsoft compared to the guy at Google, etc. And of course, that also depends on how long they've been there. Another thing that that chart does, which I think is helpful, is it tells you what they were paid last year. So you can see if they got a raise. And it they also compare it to how the company did. Yeah. Okay. It's I just like a that. quick, it's just a quick way to get info. I'm not saying you shouldn't read the proxy. Go read the proxy. The proxy okay, is good. freaking fascinating. Yeah. Spend the happiest hours of your life with the proxy if you're a giant nerd like I am. But I enjoy the graphical, easy to digest interpretation as well. Now, what I'm seeing on here shows me um, that their pay for 2019, it doesn't show me their pay for 2018, unless I'm missing something. What it shows is their median employee pay, which I find fascinating. Oh, I didn't remember that. Cool. Right? Which is really interesting. If you look at a company like, uh, let's just start at the first one, 3M, CEO made $18 million and his average uh, median employee pay is $57,000, right? Hmm. Um, so it's, I mean, it's fascinating to see what the ratio is between yeah. that. I yeah. mean, look at the ratio on that thing. I mean, if it was $100,000, wouldn't that be about 180 to 1? If it was a hundred grand. How much? What did he get? 18? Yeah. I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So 18 million would be 180 to one and it's double that. So it's roughly 320, 330 to one. And that's only. 330 to one. That's only only 18 million. That's like not even that much on that list. I know. I mean. I mean, really, something's wrong that that these guys are are getting the the shareholders to cough up that much money or to getting the boards to say that they are well, worth that much money. The way that most of them, I mean, not that they don't have huge salaries because they do, but it's mostly stock. And this is how we can so easily see how incentivized they are directly incentivized. It's not disguised. It's direct to make the stock price go up every single year year over year, no matter what, because their compensation is directly tied to it. So I like, it's a really, I'm sort of fascinated by these incentives because it's a real problem. Like the whole idea behind connecting the stock price to a CEO's compensation, to having them be compensated in direct um, ratio 
to what the stock does was to try to create a good incentive. It was actually, it was very well meant. It was to try to get away from higher and higher salaries, no matter Mm -hmm. what. Mm-hmm. And to say, hey, you don't get paid unless the company does well. And mm-hmm. the proxy for the company doing well was the stock price. And that's where the system broke down because a rising stock price, first of all, doesn't mean the company is doing well. And secondly, a falling stock price doesn't mean the company is doing badly. And it's, I think, something I would like to see in more companies that I respect that they would find a different way to compensate their leaders. And uh, I really haven't seen anybody doing anything innovative in that space. I don't think they have a lot of incentive to do anything innovative because nobody seems to talk about it that much except for us. But uh, I would like to see that. That's amazing. I mean, I'm, by the way, I found the little button where you can click and and find out a lot more information, um, which is fascinating. Honest to God. Um, there you go, Dad. For our fifth anniversary, I have wow. given you the gift of Wall Street I had Journal. No idea knowledge. They were doing this. I don't know how long they've been doing it, but this is wonderful, fabulous. We need to put it in as part of our training. I'm going to absolutely make sure that happens. Yeah, I wrote about it in my newsletter um, for my my premium newsletter, The Invested Practice, well last done. month. Well done. Well This is obviously it doesn't, as you say, substitute for the proxy reading, which is where we get all our information. But it is so wonderful to see it laid out because I'm just going to tell you the proxy is a nightmare to read (gasps) to try to understand what's going on. (laughs) It is not. They're horrible. You mean you literally can understand when you're reading how the CEO is going to get paid, what the hell they're talking about? Well, it's not the easiest thing, but if you're going to like be somebody who understands how the CEO gets paid, yeah, you got to read it. You got to figure it out. I'm going to tell all of you out there, that in this particular regard, my daughter is a lawyer. Okay. I just want to say, yeah, I'm a she's big trained nerd. in reading stuff that I don't, I can't get through a paragraph of stuff that she just reads as a normal course. Of well, I can't life. remember the difference between accounts payable and accounts receivable. So there you go. We have different <laughs> we skills. Go. We got different skills. <laughs> but so luckily, if you're I like can, me, I can Google the difference and, <laughs> and regularly do. <laughs> that is amazing. Cause if you're like me, this wall street journal data is fantastic. Your life. Now I can changed. finally see it all in one place. And what I see is that Jenny Rometty not to pick on Jenny, but I'm picking on Jenny, is getting compensated with stock awards to the tune of almost $12 million last year as she took her company's market capitalization uh, from $214 billion when she started to $118 billion when she finished. And yeah, she got stock awards. Sad. She got stock awards. She got bonuses. Yeah. I mean, who is running the asylum, man, when you have that happen? So I, I, I really, I don't, you guys, bottom line, one of the real major reasons that we want to do this podcast is to get everybody managing their own money so that you can all in mass pull your money out of situations like this and leave the board fired which is what would happen if all the money, if 85% of the money came out of IBM because it was individual money that was now being managed by us instead of the California Teachers Pension Fund Manager and the Chicago Firefighters Pension Fund Manager. If we were managing it, we would see this and go, that's simply unfair and stupid. And we'd pull our money out of the company. And then they, their stock price would drop like a brick and the board would take action. 
or they would get fired from their cozy little $250,000 a year signature that's just um, an absurd waste of money in most board of directors. So this is nonsense, and, and we should be very angry about it when you see this kind of non-performance result in a king's ransom of money going to a CEO. Um, and should we blame her for it? No. Blame the system, right? What is oh, it? you mean blame her for taking that much money? Yeah, she, yeah. Every CEO out there is going to take it, and so would you, and so would I. It's too much money to say no to. Very, yeah, no, and I'm sure that, I'm sh you know, she's not a terrible person. She has integrity. I totally agree. So I think she's was trying valiantly to do the right totally. stuff with the company. Sure. And again, as I just said, sometimes the stock price goes down and that doesn't mean you're making the wrong decisions. And, you know, maybe that's what she was thinking in her head. I'm doing the right thing long term, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, well, assume... sometimes the long term is longer than you got. Yeah. So, so let's go uh, on next time and talk about the second no, half of that particular. This. One more. I got one more. No. Yes. We're out of time. No, you have to do it. Okay. <laughs> I'm not done even talking about this one. So I want to okay. know what based on long-term success is. We've got, we've got too much to say. Okay. Lots more to talk about, which we will next time. Okay. Time to go play. See Thanks, you guys. everybody. Bye. Bye. Hi guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding, they really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it. <laughs>